bringing you news where environment and social justice issues intersect. Today's show was produced on the lands of the Bundjalung Nation in Lismore as it recovers from devastating floods. The show is facilitated by Radio 3CR in Nam, known as Melbourne, and broadcast across these stolen lands via the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. An urgent plan to restore our catchment is the only way we can reduce the flood heights in Lismore. John Corkill will be with us on the show today, a fifth-generation Lismore resident. He's been a forest protector in the north of New South Wales for over 30 years. John Corkill was dismayed when he heard that the Nationals' response to the devastating and expensive Lismore floods is to increase the height of the existing flood levees that hold water out of the business district of central Lismore. The levee was called a lemon when it was first built, and a lemon it has proved to be. John knows that money and planning would be better spent on planting and regenerating in the catchment of the entire flood area. It's the best solution. It's raining in Lismore again. I'm here in a car with John Corkhill, who I met many years ago when I was a forest activist in the Northern Rivers. I'm going to leave it to John to introduce himself. He's an amazing person. I've got many memories of John in the Northeast Forest Movement years ago and was always so impressed by his work. And now to meet him now, decades later, and hear what he has to say, I'm so honoured. John, what's happening in Lismore around land catchment management. Hi, Beck, and yes, good to see you again. Look, there's, there's lots uh, happening um, and lots to be concerned about. And so uh, really where I've come in on this is uh, immediately after the floods uh, in early March, I was contacted by Susie and Greg and they brought the Trees Not Bombs Cafe to Lismore. And so I was able to join the volunteer roster helping staff that cafe. And we had a conversation right at the beginning about what to call it. And the idea of trees, not bombs, given the the war that was going on, coalesced as a great name. And so really what I want to talk about is the push that we're developing locally for a focus in terms of post-flood recovery to have a focus on trees and on the catchment as a completely feasible way of addressing flooding and flood impacts on thousands of people. So it's around that idea that I spoke out at an initial public meeting and vented my spleen a bit about the fact that we are in these circumstances and many of us saw this coming and we're kind of frustrated that here we are. And part of that really is uh, a recognition that this event has been a climate change-influenced phenomena, and we've been talking about the urgency for climate change thinking for decades now, and we've still got no real engagement from the state or New South Wales government or the federal government. Now, that may change with the election of Albanese, but To date, many of us have been incredibly frustrated about the denial of the climate change contribution to flooding in Lismore. And this is only the third one-in-a-hundred-year flood in the last five years. 
So it's sort of like the obvious evidence underlines that reality and we're just staggered that people can't get it. Or uh, so, you know, limited in their view that they won't get it. So part of what really disturbed me was an initial push straight away to build a bigger flood levy in Lismore. And that idea is absolutely nuts. And it's not only is it a bad idea and a, a crazy idea, it's a dangerous idea. The evidence of the last floods is that when the levee overtops, and in this case, by water more than three metres over the height of the wall, when water overtops the levee, it creates a tsunami onto the business district and then all the residents in the basin behind that area. And so the levee has actually made flooding and flood impacts worse for those communities and for the CBD. So what distressed me greatly in that initial flood response was this idea, seemingly uh, without even thinking of other feasible alternatives, to straight away jump on the idea of we need a bigger wall. Now, there was a bigger wall proposed nearly 30 years ago in the early 90s that was examined, that was considered, and it was demonstrated that there were real questions about its technical feasibility, that is, whether the riverbanks could hold up a wall as large as they proposed at that time. And then other questions about was it economically and socially feasible with the impacts that this would create. And so they didn't build a big wall, they built a little wall, despite the advice of others at the time. So the levy is a failed strategy, and the idea that we're going to jump to doing more of the same is deeply problematic. And I'm not ashamed of being quite cranky about the, the improper way, particularly the member for Page, has jumped ahead of the game and decided he knows best. And, and a real political manoeuvre here with the slush fund that the Morrison government created. So this is the problem that we've got, is that we've got gee whiz thinking and we're trying to then work out how to deliver it instead of a proper scientific and logical approach. Now, if you adopt that approach and you look upstream, you realise that the catchment of the Wilsons River upstream of Lismore is, uh, you know, where the floodwaters come from not the floodplain. By the time the water arrives on the floodplain, it's too late to do any kind of effective reduction of impact at that stage. And so one of the things that's obvious that's been ignored over the last few, well, quite some time, is the degraded state of the catchment and the fact that there are in many areas of those 20-something subcatchments in our upstream area very large areas of degraded land with little or no native vegetation, only pasture, and in some cases, no trees at all on steep lands and no trees at all on the uh, sensitive riparian lands down on the creeks and riverbanks. Now, there are environmental impacts downstream from these land uses, and farmers have ignored them for years. The National Party has ignored them for years. But here is the proof. We have almost no capacity to retain rainfall in the upper catchment with so many degraded lands and so little uh, attention to the need to manage this flood risk. So uh, the idea of, of taking a catchment-based approach is not a new one. It's been tried already a couple of times in our region going back over time. And I've got a 
little worked example here that the Richmond Catchment Management Committee produced way back uh, when, and there it is. It's called the the Richmond Catchment Management Strategy, about 1995. Now, all the actions in that are still good actions, but there's no funding, and most of the bodies that are named there as given responsibilities to do things have been abolished. They're no longer there. So the, the idea of planning for the management of the catchment is well known in the region and the idea of building an industry around restoring our catchment, finding a way to uh, increase our protection from flooding through that kind of natural-based process is something that we really are insisting has to be now explored instead of just rushing down the build-a-bigger-wall approach. So I'm really uh, talking at public meetings about the capacity for substantial revegetation to diminish the runoff from these extreme rainfall events, to slow the waters, the velocity of some of them moving very, very fast when these waters are channeled together, producing the flash flooding. Uh, And we want to be able to delay all of that so that if water is running off, it's running off slowly and gradually, not in torrents. So there are a range of things that we can do in the catchment to, to overcome that channelization of flows uh, and to increase the capacity of the catchment to retain and slowly discharge water during and after these really extreme rainfall events. So that's there in the scientific literature. Um, There are worked examples around the world where uh, catchment reforestation has been done experimentally to see what the impacts are. And in uh, one of those examples I saw recently, they're looking at a between a 10 and a 49% reduction in the level of flooding by rehabilitating whole catchments. Now, that's very promising work elsewhere in the world about how the science works, and we should be pursuing that here in Australia. But what I've also discovered looking at the literature in the last little while is that almost no work has been done since about 2012. And guess what? That coincides with Abbott's butchering of the CSIRO and its research capacities and the defunding of the Department of Environment and Climate Change and Water when the coalition government came to the state government. So we've had a real gutting of the application of this good science to our catchment management. We've had no climate change modelling done at this local level to look at what are these impacts because of these national party policies to oppose climate change as a theory and to defund research looking at its impact. So it's quite clear that the international literature has gone on. Work is being done in a whole range of places looking at these hydrological models, looking at catchment management strategies that have worked elsewhere. So um, we could do it here in the Northern Rivers if we tried. And the idea of a total catchment plan that takes in not just the Wilson, but the wider area of the Richmond River, because the Wilsons is a tributary of that. I mean, we could have a major new industry across the region here, focused on catchment restoration, revegetation. And there's room, I think, quite clearly room in that. And this was part of our early discussions going back some time, including for commercial plantation timber establishment, so that we're growing trees to harvest them for timber production. And there are people working on economic models that show this is possible. So this, is, this could be funded in a range of ways, but there are 
apart from those kinds of benefits, quite striking urgency to sequester carbon to reduce our CO2 levels in the atmosphere. And the primary way of doing that is planting trees. And we also know because apart from the climate crisis, there is an extinction crisis that's ongoing. That's partly driven by climate itself, but also by our human impacts, reduction of habitat. So what we urgently need in this highly biodiverse region are links and corridors between existing areas of habitat and the creation of new areas of habitat. And we can do that by planting millions of trees. And the the connection with those two ideas, with the idea that we can reduce flood impacts downstream by planting millions of trees, makes this a very strong proposition in terms of the public interest objectives that we could achieve through this. Now, we, we can do this if we have the political will. And the couple of times where the political will has been assembled, it's then been uh, basically uh, lost. And going back to uh, the election of the coalition government in the 1998 election, we had the defunding of Greening Australia, slicing and dicing of land care funding, and the project that we established here on the Northern Rivers to, to plan and implement a catchment restoration project was killed in Canberra by our National Party member who said, I'm not having greeny jobs in my Nationals electorate. And so that project was killed by Ian Causley, but all the intellectual property and understanding and science and rationality are still there. And the prospect of an industry based on this is still a live industry. And there are a couple of things. John Corkill talking about the urgent need to plan and fund the planting of trees in the entire catchment of the Northern Rivers area as the only way to mitigate flooding in the area in the future. This is Earth Matters, bringing you news of the changing environment and the resulting hits to social justice. I was in Canberra on the hill at the Arboretum on a very wet Reconciliation Day event. The rain couldn't dampen Johnny Huckles singing on the main stage or the emerging Indigenous band Jambies. The song Five Tribes, written by Darren Ricks, raised the hairs on my neck and made me take notice. So here's a snippet of the Five Tribes song, just 40 seconds of a pre-release Recorded on a mobile phone during practice in a tin shed. Here's Jumbies. sung by Darren Ricks, a Gunai Kurnai man from colonial name Gibbsland region, the nephew of Archie Roach, 
And Darren singing with Jambies. Jambies are Darren Ricks on guitar and vocals, Warren Saunders, a Gungari man from Mitchell, southeast Queensland, on bass and didge, and Richard Plug on drums. Jambies, and we're all ears and anticipation for their first album coming soon. Always was, always will be. Jambies. And let's turn again to John Corkill from Lismore, who's talking about the urgent need to plan the restoration of the water catchment in the Lismore region in response to the reoccurring, devastating and expensive floods. There are a couple of things that give me some confidence that we can do that. And post-flood, um, I pointed to this uh, a few times in the Newman Good Times, the local newspaper, full-page spread by local people with experience in catchment restoration, providing lists of and descriptions of how to do creek erosion and landslip management to reduce the risks, other information on riparian floodplain plantings, showing appropriate species and where to plant what, and other information about how to regenerate your local creek and what plants to use and how to do that. So all of that information, and, and there's literally hundreds of species and footnotes in this page, that's, that's gold. We know what plants will do what and what goes where, and we've got good information showing us. So that's there. And the other, I think, absolute jewel in the new jewel is this publication by Dunphy et al., Australian Rainforest Seeds, and it's a guide to collecting, processing, and propagating Australian rainforest seeds. I like the cover. Look at those, all the different seeds, blue, lots of beautiful rainforest seeds. They are beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And the book is illustrated with photographs by Hugh Nicholson, who's published rainforest identification books with his partner Nan for many years. And those photographs are exquisite. And as you say, they are beautiful. These are beautiful things to look at. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of that. What I'm saying about the value of this book, uh, Beck and, and listeners, is that Really, this tells us how to go about the idea of when and where and why and how to collect seed, to propagate it and germinate it, to care for it in the nursery, to get it ready to go in the ground as part of this bigger multi-million dollar tree planting exercise that we say is needed for these, you know, wide and important public interest objectives. So well done to Mark. It's a CSIRO publication, Mark and the team, Steve Alpin, Paul Nielsen and Michelle Chapman, photos by Hugh Nicholson. So this kind of information is what we need. It's a key building block and we can go forward if only we had the political will. I guess really the challenge now is for us to get this to be taken seriously by the New South Wales government and by the local councils in the area and to revive this as an important new idea that could be part of our post-flood recovery. I have to say, uh, without it, I can't see flooding in the Lismore area getting any better anytime soon. And all of the information to date shows that we're going to be faced with a lot more of these challenging circumstances. 
and we'd be much better prepared to face those circumstances if we had a healthy catchment. I do see a future for agriculture in the catchment. Uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd just, if I might just clarify that and then say we're not proposing that all areas under agricultural production are surrendered to a massive tree planting campaign by Greenies. Uh, we think agriculture will be important in that landscape, but what we need is those people with agricultural lands to take some responsibility for their contribution to catchment management. And that includes looking after riparian lands and creek lines and the native vegetation on their site. So there's a, a way forward for agriculture and catchment restoration to go ahead, but there is no positive future where we've got agricultural lands in a degraded state worsening our flood hazard downstream and no engagement and no action to deal with. So we need farmers on board, uh, but uh, we also need them to realise that they're going to have to pick up their game. Look, I don't think it's going to take a big change in law to achieve this. Uh, There's already existing ways where we can require and encourage landowners to pick up their game in their land management and through a series of incentives and, I hope, co-funding, we could help landowners make that transition from thinking that they're solely responsible for delivering these public interest outcomes. And we do want private land to recognise and, and help achieve bigger picture community values like protecting wildlife from extinction and reducing flood impacts. So it's not terribly hard if the political will is there and we've got the cooperation of farmers. But I guess the thing I'd like to emphasise is that we are at code red for humanity. And at times I come across as strident, at times it's, it's difficult to disguise my impatience because for more than 20 years, I've been listening to the IPCC, like many other people have, and we do realise this is now past urgent. This is absolutely critical, and we are on a path to either choose to survive or to continue on thinking we've got plenty of time and are come, going to come very quickly off the end of the cliff. So it's difficult to know how to communicate that sense of urgency when people want to be complacent. But Let's be clear, this is the UN Secretary General issuing a code red to humanity. Now, if we don't hear that as responsible citizens and adjust our plans and act accordingly with the necessary level of urgency, we're not going to get there. And that's a really deeply worrying prospect. John, thank you so much for that absolute emotional honesty on this issue. You're welcome. And... um, I'm sure other people uh, experience this and probably many of your listeners do too. And this is why we really do need to now come together around good ideas and try and find a positive way forward. And so many of us will be standing with you, John. John, thank you so much for talking to Earth Matters. You're entirely welcome, Beck. I dug about a bit, did a bit of research and found some more. Back in March, Dr Corkhill said to the Echo newspaper that the mayor of Lismore, Steve Krieg, was in a compromised position. Dr Corkhill said that it was highly inappropriate for Councillor Krieg to be advocating for or seeking to determine the direction of any public funding for the flood mitigation response in the CBD 
owing to his business interests. Dr. Corkhill said, Like all CBD business owning councillors, the mayor has a direct pecuniary interest. Councillor Krieg had to fully declare his financial interests, not to participate in the debate and absent himself from the vote on all matters for decision by council where millions of dollars of public funds investment would or may benefit him personally, said Dr. Corkhill. That's the law and the mayor ought to know that, he said. Dr. Corkhill said the mayor needed to learn what his actual responsibilities were, including to the whole of Lismore and not just the CBD. As he said to the Echo newspaper back in March, this more of the same failed strategy usurps Rouse County Council's role, preempts any rational assessment of future flood mitigation options, and compromises community input into decisions about flood mitigation and spending of public funds by the lawful authorities. Thanks for absorbing the information about regenerating the catchment of the Lismore floodplain. You have been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to get in touch with the Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook on Earth Matters 3CR Radio. And to listen to or to share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Look out for more from the Earth Matters team next week. I'm Beck Horridge. Travelling back to Canberra from Lismore, everywhere I went to camp, the ground was boggy and muddy and soaked from rain, rain, rain. But hope was shining through six kilometres east of Bulladila in a moist roadside reserve of Melaleucas were more birds singing than I'd heard for a long while. And here they are.